singing in the kitchen. Family. Running through the yard. Family. Going on vacation. Family. On the credit card. Family. All in this together. Family. We're taking a chance. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. My name is Mitchell Jolly, and you are? Justin Owens. Hey, guys, it's a pleasure to be recording again and be back with you on Theology in the Dirt. And at Theology in the Dirt, our mission is to try to make application of our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. And so our aim in doing this podcast is to do exactly that, try to make some manner of application to what we believe from the Bible to the issues of our day and look through the framework of the kingdom of God at our world. We do it in our homes. I know, Justin, you practice this in your home. I practice it in my home. We try to teach our people to practice this in our homes. Is If we believe these things, then there are implications down the line. And so we are trying to do that, and we want to continue the work beyond Sunday mornings and even our small groups because there are lots of hours in the week, right? Right. And so there's only so much you can get done as a local church and our gathering times. And so one of the things we want to do is as we live this out, we want to share how we're trying to live these things out in our homes with our families and in the jobs that we do. And particularly, Justin, you are a professional. What is your job on a daily basis? So I'm a CPA. I do financial planning, uh, investment management, and accounting and tax work. There you go. So you are working in the city, right? Uh, I have left my vocation of education and I'm working full-time in the church, but we meet uh, uh, down here. We're doing this podcast uh, in a place we want to tell you about, and it is brought to you by, Theology in the Dirt is brought to you by Global Impact Restoration Rome. Now, my office is here in this building. It used to be the Southeast Elementary School in South Rome. So I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You can go to our website, restorationrome.org, check out the tab who we are, and you can learn a little bit about this facility and what we do. And it is in the middle of the public square. And so Restoration Rome itself is us living out our theology in the public square because our homes are involved in this. We've both had skin in the game of this work uh, in our city and in our world. And so we'd love it if you guys are listening and you're new to us, go to restorationrome.org and you can learn a little bit about how we are practicing our theology in the dirt of our city, our homes, and the world. So our audience, uh, a little bit about if you're new to theology in the dirt, our audience is first and foremost the people in our church. We want folks in our church to see and hear and have opportunities to continue to learn how to put into practice what we teach and we want anybody else in Rome, Georgia, who wants to check it out uh, to see how they can join us in this work in their local churches because we are not isolated. We're a local church, and we're partnered with other local churches. We want them to participate. And any other Christian who stumbles upon this podcast or it is shared with them, we want you to be able to see how we do that. And hopefully you can join us in your city doing the same thing. So brought to you by Global Impact Restoration Rome, and we're having a good time doing it. So, Justin, segment number one before we jump into the framework that we will use for the rest of this year on all topics. Uh, this segment is called Overtime. And in Overtime, we're going to discuss leftover things from 
what we talked about in the sermon. Now, what I'll do is I'll post a link to the video, and if you are new to our church or you didn't attend that Sunday or you want to listen because you don't go to our church and you're in another city, watch it if you want to, or just enter into dialogue with us as we talk about some overtime issues, things we can't discuss in a sermon because you and I might preach for three hours if we were allowed to. That's right. But we only have a short period of time. So what we talked about this past week was discipleship. So, Justin, is there anything that you have left over that you want to talk about in overtime? Um, I think you could harp on it all day long, but we define a disciple. right? First, we have to start with the kingdom. The kingdom of God makes disciples. So uh, Jesus' invitation, he came rep- preaching, repent and believe, because the kingdom of God is at hand. And so a disciple is someone who repents and believes. Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 1 to say, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You can look throughout different places in the New Testament, whether it's in Matthew, if you just track through the book of Matthew, or keep tracking through the book of Mark, even getting to you know like Luke chapter 10 and 12, you, you just keep on tracking. The theme of the life of the disciple is hear mm-hmm. and obey. Hear the word of the Lord and obey. And obedience, someone in my life group gave us part of this definition, is immediate response with the right attitude. That's so it's, good. It's more than just, oh, I'm going to do it, whatever, and I'll do it tomorrow. But it's, uh, okay, go do this. Yes, I'll go do that. Mm. It's Genesis chapter 12. God called Abram, and he got up and he left. He mm. took his family. Um. So hearing and obeying is what characterizes the life of a disciple. Mm, yeah, hearing and obeying, right? The two basic building blocks of everything we can read in the Bible, it comes down to hearing God and obeying Him. So it's not just knowing the right stuff, right? I mean, we can we can know stuff all day long, and our experience has been in all the years of doing ministry that knowledge of information is no guarantee that a person is going to do what they know. Right. And so the key to really knowing is doing, right? Yeah, it's it's Abram, yes. Um, My reading this morning, I was in Genesis chapter fifteen, right? He believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But how do we know he believed? Because of what he did. His belief is worked out in action. James talks about, you know, what good is it if you see your brother and you don't do anything about it? Like they have a need. Oh, good. I'm gonna pat you on the back. Say I'm praying for you. Mm. If the dude is hungry, give him some food. If he needs clothing, give him some clothes. That demonstrates your faith. It's huge. And huge. Well, I mean, Genesis chapter uh, 22 has to come after the experience of leaving Ur and finding that Yahweh is faithful. And discovering him to be faithful led to the ability to hear and be willing to sacrifice the promise, and I love how this the, the text says it, that he believed God could raise the dead. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't a belief that, well, I guess I just have to suck it up and lose everything. It's I need to obey, and God has to. This God who called me to leave, I've learned that he's going to be faithful. So he has to raise the dead. Mm. There's, there's no other way around it. So I'm willing to do what he says because this is the promise. You don't get twenty chapter twenty two unless you get the being willing to get up and leave. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, and it takes both. We have to learn how to hear. Yeah, right. I think that's something that we could probably, over the course of the year, spend some time helping people understand how do you hear God. Yeah, 
But once you hear, you have to obey. And that's not just the theme of the New Testament. That's God's theme and pattern all through the Old Testament. Yes. It's obedience. It's application of the right thing. I mean, I noticed this year reading, I texted you the other day, just in Matthew 12. First 12 chapters, Jesus quotes one verse from Hosea twice. What may come across as kind of an obscure verse right. from one of the minor prophets. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go and learn what that means. And the implication there being the application of these truths of who God is and how you're to interact with one another, really it boils down to the two greatest commandments, you know, love God and love your neighbor. Mm. Living that out is more important than making some sacrifice, thinking right. that that's making you right. You can make all of the sacrifices rightly mm. and live it out wrongly. And that was Jesus' critique of the Pharisees. Right. And so I think one of our tasks, you preached on it a few weeks ago, is maturity. That's our goal. Yeah. The goal of Christian discipleship is to become a mature followers of Jesus. Mm. And that only works itself out through obeying, through doing what we know to be right. Amen. That's good. Another component here in overtime that I wanted to bring up, I alluded to it. Uh, I alluded to it because if I said it in the sermon, it's a whole sermon by itself. And we're talking about the power of worldviews and how presuppositions, things we think beforehand, we bring to the table, and a lot of them are assumed. Uh, they affect, and, and sometimes even the, the assumption, we're unaware that it is even an assumption that is there. This is the power of culture. It's the power of worldviews. It's it's the power of, of the air that you breathe, and 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 quite literally, the the philosophical air that we breathe on a daily basis affects a whole range of things we suppose ahead of time that then affects our theology. And and uh, I alluded to an example, and I gave the scriptures, but I didn't give the example because again, it would set everybody in a different direction. They would miss the point of the sermon. I just gave it as an example that. Uh, our presuppositions are there, and we can bring them to discipleship and assume discipleship is a hundred things the Bible never says it is. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to give this as an example of, of how we have to evaluate our presuppositions so that we can define discipleship correctly from the Scriptures. Well, the explicit example was uh, someone asked the question, does God love the sinner and hate the sin? And uh, my simple response is go read Psalm 5, Five to six. Go read Psalm five to five, five to six, and then I didn't give them all the other psalms because there's <laughs> there's more uh, than that. Like Psalm eleven five, mm. um, Psalm five five to six is pretty explicit in regard to the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Plato's dualism, a philosopher that affected the predominant philosophical underpinning of all of Western civilization. Not a, not a believer. Not a believer, right? Not a Christian. Uh, Plato's a brilliant man. Uh, Plato taught Aristotle. Plato and Aristotle are two philosophers who ended up having competing worldviews. Plato believed the Lagos, uh, this divine entity somewhere undefined up in the heavens, in, in that world, that realm defined reality and we must seek that out and it and, and the logos revealed aristotle believed we find truth by observing created order they're both the the fathers uh, of two different worldviews and plato's dualism of logos versus created order um 
absolutely wrecks our worldview. And mm-hmm. so what we have a tendency to do, whether we realize it or not, is draw this nice, neat line between God and man, as if man's actions can separate man from any implication in regard to his relationship to God, and that that relationship can be completely unaffected, as if God draws a line between sin and sinner. The Bible makes it clear God does not do that. Mm-hmm. So when you read things like Psalm 5, verse 5 to 6, it destroys the idea that uh, sin can be separated from sinner. In fact, the devastating reality of sin is sin is not just an infection. Sin infects and takes over the entire character of man such that we read in in Romans that Paul says we're under the wrath of God. Mm. Yeah, so so you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's almost like if we're going to say that hearing and obeying and that obeying is is the demonstration of your belief in God, your acting in sin is a demonstration that you believe sin is worth it. That's right. That you believe something in that, whether intentionally and actively and consciously, maybe is a better word, you're choosing to disobey God. That's you're right. choosing to say, I know a better way. That's or I'm right. willing to do my own way even if I don't like it. That's right. But that acting in that sin That's is right. an indication of you as the sinner. That's right. And what we like to do with a question like, does God love the sinner and hate the sin, is, well, there's a distinction there. Yeah. As That's if right. my sin doesn't make me the sinner. Right. And exactly. reveal what I really believe. That's right. But that's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. Because we're all immature sinners. That's right. In different ways. That's right. And That's we should exactly be growing right. toward maturity. But it, we, we want to draw that nice distinction so that when I mess up, yeah. God still. Yeah, it's okay. It doesn't affect me, my very nature, nor my relationship to God. And if, if Plato were right, and that pop Christian colloquialism were true, there would be no hell mm. because God could just magically say, well, that's not your nature. Sin is an adjective, not a noun. But the Bible uses sinner in relation to us as a noun, a person, place, or a thing. It's the nature of something. It's not just a descriptor word. It is the nature of something. And the Bible calls us sinners separated from God. Therefore, my sin apart from Christ, that this is why the gospel is so necessary, that if I do not repent and believe the gospel— my sin remains on me, but if I repent and believe, my sin gets transferred to Christ, who's able Man. to handle it, right? And I'm no longer a sinner noun. Sin becomes an adjective that is foreign to me, that I happen to every now and then stumble back into, but I am now saint. I'm Christ's. That is the noun that defines me. Yeah, that's that's why good. the gospel is so important for us. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Because if you don't repent and believe, God is not for you. Mm. And that's good. And that's why Jesus' invitation is to repent. Yes. It means you're going one way that's wrong. Yes. So turn away from that. That's right. And go after this other thing that's right. Yeah. There'd be no need to repent if I wasn't under the condemnation of God and God wasn't going to get me. Mm. But he says, repent. Come over here because I'm going to make a way that we're not going to get you. Father, Son, and Spirit are not out to get you if you come under the blood of the cross. Mm. And that makes the gospel, like, there's an emergency to it. The power of preaching matters. Like, hey, 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 pay attention. This is important. Mm. Your security eternally matters. And so God loves the sinner and hates the sin is a devastating lie. 
And so, anyway, that's there's so much more we could do in overtime. Do it. You so got the, one. The one more thing I want to touch on is that what we say and what we're even talking about now, but right. the hear and obey, it's not legalism. Yes, like that's it, right. It can quickly divert into legalism. You got to do A, B, and C to be right with God, or you got to do A, B, and C, whatever that is. But it's not legalism. And that's right. I'm not being legalistic. You're not, but we're not being legalistic to say that's right. That it is necessary to obey. Jesus. It is right. necessary to obey the Lord. Jesus said, teach them to observe everything I commanded. That's Not just right. go and make disciples of all nations, but as you make disciples of all nations, yes, teach them to observe everything I've commanded because those actions demonstrate that we actually believe those things. Yes. And so we got to be careful not to become legalists. That's right. But we can't, in our attempts to not be legalists, water down the need to obey. Yes, that's exactly right. And the whole idea of legalism is that by observing, by doing things, I'm somehow earning favor with God, either for salvation or for blessing. And we do not believe that. Right. And obeying the Lord is not legalism. It is love. It's you. I mean, it, it, this thing get all nerdy here for a second, but it goes back to the Ten Commandments. Uh, the indicative comes before the imperative. And you never reverse that order, right? So right. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and purchased you from the land of slavery. Therefore, do these things. You're my people now. You're mine. I'm yours. And here's what it looks like to be my people. Now go do these things. He didn't go, hey, do this stuff, and then you can be my people. He mm. didn't reverse the order. The indicative comes before the imperative. And that's how legalism puts the imperative before the indicative. Grace puts the indicative before the imperative. Says you're my people. That's good. So look like it, and here's what it looks like to look like it. Now go strive toward this, but I'm gonna love you anyhow. Mm. And and here's the crazy: not only am I gonna love you, I'm gonna teach you how to fulfill this. And not only am I gonna teach how to fulfill it, I'm gonna give you my spirit and make you want to do it. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, that's good. Yeah, get, yeah, this little goosebumpy. <laughs> Some Holy Spirit bumps. I love it. All right, that's our overtime segment. Then we'll get to the main segment. And today we're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but we're going to talk about the kingdom of God as a framework by which we do everything going forward. Yeah, that's good. I, I would just say before we jump in or even what we jump into, if there's questions people have, yes, we would love to hear those yes. because we don't want to spend our time answering questions that people don't have. Yes. So if we say something or you have a question, yes. shoot it to us and we will in some manner, answer you, even if it's just an email, it may be something we discuss on here. But Absolutely. Theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. You can get us there. You can also get uh, me at Mitch at threeriversc.org, and Justin can be Justin at threeriversc.org, and that's three rivers C, all spelled out lowercase. And we would love to be able to address some of your questions and thoughts on on anything in relation to questions about our world and living out our faith. So as we go into 2022, there are multitudes of topics we want to talk about, and some of it's going to come at us based on what's happening in the world, based on questions people send us, because we have to live in the world real time, and things happen at lightning speed. So we could sit down, and we could and we could make a plan, and, and we have the ideas of things we want to talk about, we want to discuss but the world is coming lightning quick. Information processes so quickly. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media you use, you can get quicker news there than you can on, on the Internet by going to a website. And so things are going to happen we want to address mm -hmm. theologically. But our framework matters. 
the lens we look at it, the worldview, the presuppositions we make matter. So what we want to do today is outline where we're coming from. And for us, it is very simple. It's the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Justin, when we talk about the kingdom of God, what do you hear and what does the Bible teach you about the kingdom of God? Uh, so I think give a little background of, of why it's so important. If we don't understand the kingdom, a lot of what Jesus talks about doesn't matter. Right. Right. If we have this misunderstanding of the, I, I grew up with an understanding that the kingdom of God was heaven somewhere in the future that we might get to one day when we died. Yeah. If we believed out there, it's future, somewhere, somewhere out else. there. Right. And the parables of Jesus don't make sense at that point. Right. Right. I mean, some of them do. Right. If, if you're thinking about the treasure hidden in a field, well, yeah, heaven's worth that. Right. Right. But the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that leavens the whole lump of dough. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense if you're just thinking future heaven. Right. Kingdom of God, um, the easiest definition for me is it's the rule and reign of Jesus over all things manifested here today. Yeah. To both today and still to come. Yeah. So it's not fully realized. We can look around our world. Everything is not, is, is clearly not under the rule and reign of Jesus right now. Right. That sounds weird, like it is, but... Yeah. It doesn't appear that way. God's still, still sovereign, but people are rejecting that sovereignty. There's still chaos. There's yes. still sin. There's still That's destruction. Right. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. And there, but there, and there's a future to come reality where one day all things will be made new, and the kingdom will fully manifest itself. And we're kind of living in those in between times. Yes. But what should dictate who we are as disciples is our understanding that Jesus's invitation was that the kingdom of God is here now yes so repent and believe yes absolutely the kingdom is here the lord was being accused of casting out demons by beelzebul the prince of demons and jesus said no if i'm casting out demons like what good does it do for demons to cast each other out they already own the person but if i but if i cast out demons by the holy spirit by the power of god the kingdom of god has come among you mm-hmm Jesus was clear the kingdom is here. And he even said the gospel of Mark begins by Jesus proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so the the kingdom of God is exactly like you said. It's the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, who is God. And let's be explicit. When we talk about the reign of God, Jesus said he was God. So we're talking about the reign and rule of the eternal God who is revealed in Jesus. And Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So where the will of God is being done, the kingdom of God is present and being manifested. And so the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, executed and manifested by the will of God, being done at any given moment in time. And that's that's a simple definition to a super complex reality that the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation reveals as the reign and rule of the God of the Bible. Absolutely. And... This is a little oversimplistic maybe, but disciples hearing and obeying is where that plays itself out. Yes. That's where disciples are hearing and obeying the Lord. Yes. That is where the kingdom is being manifest. Yes, it is. And all throughout the New Testament, we see what accompanies the kingdom is things being set right that were wrong. That's right. These miraculous healings that take place. That's right. Um, correcting false doctrine. Yeah. Of you oppress these people. Yes. Because you show favoritism. That's right. Working it down into, hey, when you think wrongly, like you get angry 
and hate somebody, that's the same as if you killed them. Yes, that's right. That's the kingdom working itself out in you're not obeying properly. That's exactly right. All the way down to your your intention at the heart level. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So to inherit the kingdom, to live under the reign and rule of God is all the way down at the heart level and the intent. The hidden dark places of my thoughts, my lusts, the kingdom of God is either manifested or rebelled against. Mm-hmm. Because I can look like on the outside I'm obeying the kingdom, but on the inside I am an, a robust rebel because just because I don't do it on the outside doesn't mean all the way down at the heart level my desires right. So the Lord, my reign and rule extends all the way down to your desires. So Jesus told the Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look nice and beautiful on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. And they right. did all the things ex- exteriorly that looked right. Yes, that's but right. But their hearts were full of greed and, and wrong desires. That's right. Well, the kingdom of God comes against the whole idea of legalism, right? Because... Legalism is, again, external adherence, gets you some type of favor, salvation, or favor with God, uh, but it never addresses the inner heart. The promise in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel chapter 36, the promise of this new deal, the new covenant God was going to make in this gospel of the kingdom is that he would give us a heart that would match the outside. Mm. So the heart and the external are the same. And so we would have a heart that wants to do good, and he would empower us on the outside to do that good. And, and so the kingdom of God is that reign, that rule from the inside out. And I would, I would go so far as to say it is an inside-out issue. Mm-hmm. I think Tony Evans used to say this, and, and uh, I heard him say this first when we were at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship a long time ago uh, and, and before we went to Northwood and before I uh, interned with Bob at Northwood Church, Bob Roberts, my spiritual father, Tony Evans used to say, our obedience is from the inside out. It starts on the inside, and it works its way on the outside. It's a desire that works its way out into action. Mm. And so the kingdom of God, the rule of Jesus Christ, his reign and his rule, his, our identity mm-hmm. as children of God, working itself out into the actions of the children of God. Um, Tim Keller's definition is, is, is I love it, it's uh, the kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they're restored to health, beauty, and freedom. Mm, that's good. That's a beautiful definition. So it's reality. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is advancing, and the kingdom of God will be made manifest in all these beautiful ways. Uh, huge. Another way, Justin, that's helpful for me is to think about the whole narrative of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. It's the best movie plot ever. In fact, I would go so far as to, this. This is I'm going out on a limb here, but uh, Sixth Sense is one of my favorite movies of all time. You seen Sixth mm-hmm. Sense? M Night Shyamalan, or as Uncle Sai would say, M Night Come Along. If you watch Duck Dynasty stuff and a fan of all the seasons, you know Uncle Sai. Uncle Sai calls him M Night Come Along. It's like an M Night Come Along movie, but M Night Shyamalan's movie, The Sixth Sense, is beginning. Middle, beginning. If you hadn't seen the movie, I just probably ruined it for you. But it's beginning, middle, beginning. So the beginning is really the end. But he starts at the beginning because it's the start of the movie. But at the start of the movie, you're really getting the end. And you don't realize it's the end until you get to the end. So it's beginning, and then there's the middle unpacking of everything. And you get to the end, and you realize the beginning was the end. That's the plot line of the Bible, beginning, middle, beginning. 
you get God creating this beautiful creation that's alive and functioning, the co-regency of humans creating his image, set to rule over it, sin enters, breaks everything, and then this playing out of this broken creation, and in the middle, God doing this work, and at the end, what does he do? He brings it all the way back to the beginning, to a new Eden Mm -hmm. that is as alive as the first Eden, right here, restored, made new. It's beginning, middle, beginning. The sixth sense is the plot line of the Bible. And I'm convinced all good storytelling, all good movies follow God's plot lines, and that's the plot line of the Bible. And from Genesis to Revelation, the kingdom is this plot line of God doing this awesome work. Sin has wrecked it. He resolves it, and he brings it all the way back to its beginning state, and it's his reign over the beginning, the middle, and the end. So you can tell I'm a parent of little kids by what I'm about to say, but Christy Knuckles is a Christian artist. Um, She has an album of lullabies. And one of hers, in one of her songs, it says, they have borrowed your story. Mm. And she's talking about the fairy tales and prince and princess and all that. But it's, they've borrowed God's story mm. to write their stories. It is the the story that plays itself out mm. as the backbone of all good stories. Wow. All of the Marvel movies, right? There's this... Oh, there's a there was a good, and then there's this thing that broke it, and then there's these heroes that come, and then there's this promised future yes. of good, and so like that's that's yes. the meta narrative of the Bible, and it's either Michael Goheen or Leslie Newbigin that say that that has to be our understanding of reality. Yes, the meta narrative of the Bible of history has to be that that is true. Yes, and whatever that butts up against that makes us go, Ooh, I don't know, or is this really false? Mm. We have to fall back on that's the truth. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes, That that's it. That's exactly it. And you use my favorite word, <laughs> meta-narrative. It is the the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the meta-narrative. It's the narrative that gets mean, gives meaning to everything else. And, oh, that's so right. They borrowed the story. And, and, and this... Uh, one of Jesus' parables in Matthew 13 used to give me trouble as a young Christian, and it's the parable of the kingdom of God is like a net. Mm. And it's cast in the sea, and it brings out of it all these things. And God catches in this net of his kingdom good and bad. He sorts them out. Mm. That used to throw me for a loop until I understood the kingdom concept of the kingdom because all, all, all I thought about was just salvation, get saved, go to heaven, not the reign and rule of Jesus over absolutely everything. And what I realized is the kingdom of God is like a net and, and it's catching good and bad. So God's reign sits over all of, because it's not like the earth isn't his, it's his. Sins wreck stuff and the kingdom is catching good and bad and we're coming to a day in which he will take the bad and get rid of it and keep mm. the good. So they borrowed the story yeah. and turned the story into something bad, and God's going to catch it, and one day he's going to sort it out. Mm. And so this so this worldview that this kingdom, oh, gosh, and it's the weed and wheat. Weed and the wheat. Yeah. yeah. The weeds. And the wheat. And the wheat. When I say the weed, I get like people are like, oh, he's talking about weed. No, 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 no. The weeds and the wheat. <laughs> and so and so in the kingdom of God, he said the kingdom of God is like this field. And then he has to later explain the parable to them. Mm -hmm. The sower of the weeds is the enemy. And so the kingdom of God has ended an enemy in this broken reality. And in the kingdom, there are going to be weeds sown among the wheat. And the Lord said, on that last day, I will sort them. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at all of these issues 
through the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, his sovereignty over them. What's he doing it for? What's his end and what's his purpose? Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit a very simple introduction to how we want to view everything. So, Justin, as we begin to wrap up our time together, is there anything else about the kingdom of God you want to make sure that we say to set up future episodes that we want to cover? I think just that um, we're going to approach it. We're going to approach life and how we deal with these topics as if we really believe that that's the true story, the meta narrative of the Bible, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus' rule and reign over everything, and and the truth that it is bringing a restoration to all things that's happening today and will one day ultimately happen in the new creation, mm-hmm. that that's the truth. That's our framework, and if our presuppositions butt up against that, we're going to try to throw those out. Mm. We're not going to see them all. We're going to be blind to some of them. But we are going to approach issues as if that's the truth. As yes. If the kingdom is the, the framework. That's perfect. That's a perfect last word. Thank you for that, Justin. Well, guys, we thank you for listening. We're excited for a 2022 season of discussing issues from the framework of the kingdom of God. So we do want you to interact with us. And so if you go to the blog at theologyinthedirt.com, uh, you can see blog posts. You can see all kinds of good stuff on there. You'll see and have access to the links for this podcast. It will be available on Spotify. It will be available on Apple Podcasts. It'll be available on Anchor. And so we're very grateful for all those guys who work with us in that. We're thankful for Chris Hayes, who produces. We're thankful for Kayla Sanner, who's done the artwork. Thankful for Justin and contributing all this great content. And if you guys want to send us an email at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com and give us some topics you'd like us to talk about, we'll get after it. You guys, we appreciate you listening. Have an absolutely great rest of your day. Out. Out.